Good day and welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host Ashton Campbell. Continuing with the series called Breaking Generational Curses. The cycles thereof. In our last few series we looked at where generational curses come from. We looked at a biblical point of view of generational curses. We looked at it from a point of Moses and from a point of Abram. And we also looked at it from a point of how it is operating or functioning in our lives. But today we want to have a a deeper look at the patterns of generational curses that are currently existing in our lives. Now you might ask the question, uh, what do you mean by patterns? I'm talking about telltale signs that our family structure hasn't broken out of or signs whereby we are all suffering in our family or more than one member is suffering from the same type of illness suffering from the same type of disease sickness that's what we're going to look at today everybody has to get a pen and paper and as their memory serves them or ask your mom, ask your dad, auntie, uncle and whoever the case may be in your family that is old enough to remember write down for your own family tree and I'm not speaking about the the one with the tree where you are got grandpa and grandma and stuff like that as you remember them Uncle Jack alcoholic He was divorced, had a heart attack, had a stroke. Uncle Jack Jr.'s son, unemployed, has an addiction to drugs, in and out of jail. Auntie Sarah, married three times, five kids. She never had a college education or a university education never owned a vehicle, never owned a house, rented all her life. She had plenty of health issues, suffered from depression, bipolar, maybe had a mild heart attack. And so as you populate your page with your family's history, you'll begin to see a pattern that starts forming before your eyes. You can rank them, I think in the last podcast I said you should rank them from the highest to the lowest. And not that anybody is high in the family or anybody is low in the family, but who's made it and who hasn't made it, who's struggling to make it, and how you are fitting in in that equation. How do you measure up to them? Or are you on the same level as they are? Because your family patterns are communicated in various ways. You can list all your family's failures and successes, on a chart or paper you can start from the oldest family member to the youngest with the education financial as i said before and include the habits also what are the habits that keep them bound and never allow them to move out of their comfort zone so it would look like as i said it before auntie sarah and uncle jack and when you start seeing what is going on in your family bloodline, then you have an idea of what you need to start addressing.
and I'm going to use myself as an example. I'll use two examples. The first one's pretty funny because it is rooted in a lot of ignorance, but it is somehow it came into our family bloodline, and it's not something that is hundred years old. It is something that is maybe two generations old. So my auntie, when we went to go stay with her uh, in another province, uh, we were quite surprised at the rules she had. She belonged to a specific church. They wore blue dresses only. And when I say they wore blue dresses only, I'm talking Monday to Sunday. That's all they wore was blue dresses. Um, they never had any TVs or were not allowed to watch television. And they couldn't play music. Ironically, she had a TV in a room that was disconnected underneath the blankets. And she did have a hi-fi also that worked. So when she wasn't around, I would play music on the radio. And she had this belief that her father told her one day he went to this Muslim shop. It was Muslim owned and they were selling samosas. So he wanted samosas and they were making the samosas on the table in front of him. and he. According to him, the, the lady went to go use the toilet. Now, in a Muslim culture, they wash themselves and uh, not allowed to use toilet paper in certain instances. And according to him, she came back and he said, Lady, I can see some feces underneath your fingernails. And she looked at him and she said to him, as she flicked it out of her fingernail, she said, it's nothing, man. And he turned, according to my auntie now, he turned and left and he never bought from a Muslim person again. And he then came home and instructed his family never to buy from Muslim people because that's what this lady did. And somehow this this law of his ballooned into um, scanning of products. Now every product has got a Muslim symbol on it to say that it is halal, it's been prepared in a manner that is acceptable to Muslims and it's fit for uh, Muslim people's consumption. And that theory of his or that situation he had in the 1930s or whatever the case was it trickled down to where if that symbol appeared on any item my auntie forbid us to eat it because she said that the muslim people made it therefore because of what her dad has been through um, if the muslim people are making this then it's not clean i was shocked so we had to now sit and look for this symbol that says it's approved for being halal and from the Muslim Judicial Council. And if it was on the item, we were not allowed to buy it. 
but later on you know ignorance started fading because as we got more and better information we realized that no muslims don't make the peanut butter that the company that made the peanut butter let's say for example a popular brand where i stay as black cat peanut butter they then applied by the council to have this symbol placed on their product because the council approved the method in which they prepared it and they certified it fit for muslim consumption and when we had learned this now i was still a child then so don't hold a gun to my head when we had learned this <coughs> excuse me then we started buying these products but for nearly i would say 50 years this thinking dominated the way my late auntie and her siblings purchase food and when we went to go stay there we were also indoctrinated in their belief and we then had to change the way we viewed people but we know it was silly we know now it was all silly it it, it didn't make sense muslim people are not like that so i don't know what my late great grandfather had this muslim lady what beef he had with her that he had came home with this doctrine that just traveled within the family and today they no longer believe it of course my aunt is late and the children don't believe it anymore but it took a while for them to move away from that habit the second one comes from the other side of my family and there was a rule in the house that you don't go to bed with dirty dishes in the sink because if you die that night and the people who came to see and check up on you got into the house now to see you they would attribute your death to the dishes in the sink and say see look how filthy this person is that's why they died so as a rule because i stayed some time with my granny i had to wash the dishes at night every night and if i left a dish in the sink overnight i was in big trouble eventually my mother came and took me to live with her and i realized that the rule still applied because my mother was the same you never leave dishes in the sink overnight to the point it created a fear inside of me at the time being the only child that if i left a dish in the sink the next morning early in the morning before anybody got up i ran to the kitchen and wash that dish even to the point when now i'm an adult if there's dishes in the sink then i'm conflicted 
I can't turn my back on those dishes. And when we start examining what are the feelings that I'm feeling and why am I feeling those feelings, the root becomes clear. It was my granny's tradition that had filtered into the family and is now sitting with me as a young adult. While I don't believe that I am going to die anytime soon or die tonight, the power of that tradition had a hold on the entire family. You'll never go to bed without washing the dishes because if you die, the people will say you died because you lived in filth. That stayed within my mind. My worth as an individual depended on whether or not I had dishes in the sink. But as a young person, it also created a fear of death in my life. Can you imagine thinking about dying every day of your life as a young person because of dishes in the sink? So if I went to bed and there was a dish in the sink, I felt bad and my self-worth was challenged. And little did I know that this was not any traditions of my own, but they were inherited. Yes, we all got to be clean and we've got to be, we've got to have good hygiene. We've got to keep a neat house. That's just part of being clean. And when you are clean, obviously you do not have any infestations of roaches or rats or things of that nature that would feed off the food that is in the home. That is perfectly understandable if that's the logic and the science behind the tradition. But unconsciously, this tradition I passed on to my daughter with the same words my granny used on me, on my mother and my mother's sisters and all of my cousins who lived with my granny. And I would get very upset with my daughter if she left dishes in the sink. It was a source of contention. Not because of the hygiene and keep it clean aspect, but because of what my granny had instilled in us as her own traditions. Where she got it from, I don't know. So I can't even tell you where the root of that logic came from. And that also built within us a certain kind of pride because the fear of somebody else's negative perception of us drove us to be the kind of people that are squeaky clean. And again, there's nothing wrong with being squeaky clean if it's from the point of just having a clean home and having good hygiene. But if it's from the point of where you're worried about people's perception in case you die then there's something wrong with that logic all limiting beliefs in our lives needs to be challenged so this was just two of the traditions that fell through the cracks in my family and it landed at my doorstep that i thought i'd speak about yes i could have spoken about alcohol and drugs and prison and all those other things but 
if that is all we focus on then we're gonna miss all the other subtle ones that still keep us limited in our thinking or better said trapped in our thinking other subtle problems it caused was for us to be scrutinized by other people there was a fear of being scrutinized by other people because we had this at the back of our mind that they may think we are filthy people or there's something wrong with us as subtle as these two traditions are okay maybe the first one is not subtle they both hide an abusive tone in their belief systems and when you are able to highlight the abusive tone in the traditions then you are able to start breaking free from even the most subtlest family traditions that have the most negative undertones we never recognized before the journey of this process is so that we can be free emotionally free physically free to enjoy our families in a manner that we choose to enjoy our families i'm not saying throw everything you've received from tradition out the window but it's time to start looking at what we consider as guidelines for our lives coming through our family bloodline all forms of family values traditions that limit you from moving forward are bad negative and are like chains holding you back breaking free from the habits patterns will ensure that you move forward in a new way into god's promises for your life family traditions can produce many dysfunctional behaviors like over drinking abusive behaviors addictions to food limiting mindsets on the things of money or wealth a family tradition passed down leaves you feeling worthless must be identified and rooted out especially if you were constantly told that you were worthless this is not true because these are lies and lies cage people it's the truth that sets you free let's clear the air my mother and late grand were lovely people they are lovely people but they are not immune to have faulty traditions that have been handed down to them ezekiel 20 verse 15 says Walk ye not in the statutes of your father neither observe their judgments and Jeremiah 16 verse 9 says Surely our fathers have inherited lies vanity and things wherein there is no profit breaking generational curses is a process that must be done by all in the family you need to examine why you do the things you do everything that you have been handed down from your family tradition what are the things the ideas the thought patterns the habits what are they that limit you you need to sit down with your charts and have a good look and see the limiting patterns 
even things you have observed others doing and you have observed yourself doing, identify them. Something simple as when you finish school you need to go work. That is something that is not bad, but it limits you in the area of getting a better education for yourself, whereas you could have gone to go and get a better education, or maybe you could have studied and worked at the same time. Your mindset has been trained that once you finish school, you need to go work. And that's the law of the house. And when you finish school, you got up in the morning and they sent you off to go look for a job or got you a job at some place. These cycles and curses cause you to feel trapped in the same patterns of life. You really don't have a desire to do anything other than what you have been told works and therefore you follow that same pattern over and over and you are burnt out at a young age in life or even at an old age in life running through the same pattern that never grew you to the person you were really meant to be. Some of us have had this thrown over our heads many times when you try and do something else and the family or friends say, oh, you're trying to be better than us. Look at you trying to be better than everybody else. And that is a limiting belief system. It is something that needs to be destroyed in our lives because the emotional guilt from those words that we carry inside of us will destroy us as people. And that is how the cycle continues because you've been broken. Now the kids that are born from you or from your wife, you use those same traditions, those same philosophies, those same family cliches on them and you begin to break them. So there's never forward movement in the family. So what are your family beliefs? What are the problems, the sicknesses that are common amongst your family? What are their thoughts about money? What are their thoughts about work? What are their thoughts about doing easy work for money? Were you taught to take risk? Or were risk seen as a bad thing? Were you allowed to open a business? Were you told opening a business is not for you? You need to go do work. Did they say money is the root of all evil to you? Did they wrongly quote it? Or did they not tell you that the love of money is the root of all evil? Were you laughed at when you said you're going to be rich? Did they make you a fool when you said you're going to be rich? When you're going to grow up, you're going to be successful. Or did they say being poor is a bad thing? And if you are poor, you are looked down in the family and not given a voice. You should be seen and not heard. Is there selfishness in the family? Is there sharing in the family? Are people hoarders in the family? They have so much stuff, they wouldn't even bless anybody with any of the stuff they have. Were you conditioned not to embarrass the family, the family name? Were you told that if you do so, you're going to get into trouble? So you tried so hard being perfect, prim and proper. But ultimately, what you don't realize is that you start developing a system of lies to keep up the facade of being prim and proper. And I've seen it in many people. Did you live in a family where your stuff was given without your permission? When they felt generous, they felt generous with your stuff. 
and so you develop a complex about I would rather not have anything and you grow up saying well I'd rather not have anything because whatever I had is always given away it's broken it's misused you could never find it yours is the first to go missing so you develop another complex in your life what about the ideas that when we all finish school we all went to go work and look we're doing fine nobody needed to go to university or college or do anything further than just basic schooling other things that could be passed down are things like love hurts that you have to be extremely poor to really see or hear from god that people with money don't really know god that if you are female you have to marry somebody in order for you to survive in life why would you need to be dependent on somebody else to survive in life you've been blessed with all the tools and the gifts that is required for you to be successful another one is don't marry a poor person another one is you should only marry a rich person or only look for somebody who is significantly stable in life so either way you are limited in just loving from the point of love you have to have this particular standard before you are able to love and is that even genuine love we need to become conscious or you need to become conscious of what you have been raised up in and see how these beliefs statements family positions on matters have shaped your own current life as you are living and breathing now and whatever family belief has been limiting you from moving forward into your success has to be addressed now it has to be addressed emotionally it has to be addressed physically and it has to be addressed spiritually from a spiritual standpoint of view you will have to go to scriptures and find scriptures that speak life into your situation where god has promised you certain things and stand on the promises of god and wait patiently from an emotional point of view anything that you feel bad about speak to god about it say lord you know i have this issue i am facing i don't really feel worthy of being in that particular place then allow god to show you through scripture or speak to you where he says i have qualified you i've called the unqualified i have put you in that position find scriptures that show that god is not limiting you in success in life from a physical point of view we need to start living the word you see you can't do the physical first until you found the word to live by the word is going to correct our decisions the word is going to correct our behaviors the word is going to correct our actions our responses to many situations because we start believing the word over and above our current situations then we start leaning on god and trusting god for the supply and he will then change our attitudes as we start believing and moving that his perfect love is casting out all fear casting out fear so if we have fear of flying the perfect love of god is going to cast out all fear because if you need to fly somewhere to be successful then god's going to remove that fear from your life so you can move forward to be successful
all our family views need to be tested against the word of God. You got to bring the word of God in as a standard against all of your family views and test them to see if they are in line with the word of God. Because we've got traditions and clichés and everything that goes on in our lives but we never really test them against the word of God. The word says that you were ruined by the traditions of men, ruined or spoiled by the traditions of men. Another common statement is it runs in the family. This is a limiting statement. When you say it runs in the family, it means you are never going to move beyond what is currently running in the family. You will never go to a higher level because you are stuck in the rut of it runs in the family. And yet there may be many alternative solutions for you to succeed, but because you are comfortable in the clichés that it runs in our family, so you never really move forward. Many of our family beliefs contain untruths that are untested and are not definitive based on assumptions. These all need to be tested. That is why I am hammering in the point that you need to check your family, check your beliefs, check what you think, what you believe, what is limiting and what is not making you move forward into the next level God has ordained you to be at. So in conclusion, you get your pen and paper, you put out your list and your list of family members, highest qualifications, lowest qualifications, addictions, patterns that are running in the family, patterns that are affecting you that are in the family and then we start addressing it. Later on we will start moving into the prayer aspect of it and we'll start using specific prayers to start breaking the strongholds of the enemy that is within our lives because while we are dealing with these clichés and untruths and assumptions and limiting beliefs there is still a spiritual aspect to it and later on in the podcast we'll start addressing it from the spiritual aspect but for now we need a good solid foundation so that if you meet somebody who needs to hear this then because you have heard it and have an understanding of it you can then start educating them because that's the whole purpose of these podcasts is that we do not keep quiet we share the information what helps us we help others with my name is Ashton Campbell and I am the host of this podcast breaking generational curses breaking cycles and I thank you for listening to me and I look forward to hearing from you in the comment section and I look forward to releasing another podcast for you I do release every 2 weeks and so you might not see a weekly podcast but every 2 weeks there'll be a podcast from me until such time I change my mind and do it weekly God bless you in your journey of becoming free and whole in your life. Bye-bye.
Hello and good day. I'm your host Ashton Campbell and today we're going to continue with the series Faith Over Fear. I hope you've enjoyed my previous installments and if you haven't listened to them, please go back and listen to them as they're only three to four minutes long and they are a build up to what we are currently doing now. So today we are going to deal with why we should not fear. We're going to read from the text Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. This is a very powerful text coming from the book of Nahum. Your faith in God registers with God. And by your faith, he knows who you are because God responds to faith. If you want to get God's attention, have faith. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked have no knowledge of the goodness of God as referenced in Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. Neither do they seek the shelter of the Lord in their times of trouble. But the righteous, as verse 28 says, are as bold as a lion. So the question is, where do they get their confidence, their faith and assurance from? We read from Isaiah 41, verse 10 to 13, and it reads, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yes, I will help thee. Yes, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded they shall be as nothing and they that strive with thee shall perish thou shalt seek them and shall not find them even them that contend with thee they that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught for I the Lord thy God will uphold thy right hand saying unto thee Fear not, I will help thee. The word fear not occurs 365 times in the Bible. That is one for every day of the year. In Isaiah 41, 10 to 13, we see that the Lord makes reference to himself seven times. So the righteous that are bold as a lion gets their assurance from this text. He says, For I am with thee, be not dismayed. For I am God. I will strengthen thee. Yes, I will help thee. Yes, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Verse 13, he says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. The goal of fearing not is for us to face that which is before us confidently. Your situation 
or the person in your situation is insufficient as an excuse for you to be a coward and to flee when there is trouble before you. In fact, the mere presence of an enemy is an opportunity for us to exercise our faith over fear in these very situations. Our faith will be the catalyst that drives out the enemy before us. God has said you will have his presence and his presence will drive out the enemy. He says that he is your God. He is the all-powerful God. This is the assurance that there is no one above God. God is the limit to all power that exists anywhere and everywhere. He says, I will strengthen thee so that our strength or the strength that we need will come from him. He will be the supplier of our strength. We just to have that knowledge of him. And what is that knowledge? The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He goes on to say that he is going to be your assistance. He will help you. He will go with you. And he will go before you into your situations that you will not only know his presence or feel his presence with you, but you will also be encouraged by him personally because he is the one that's going to be saying, fear not, fear not, be not dismayed. And again, if that doesn't register with you, he still says at the end of the text, I will help you. It is likened to the text that says, he is my refuge, fortress, and my shield, my God in whom I'm trusting. When we stand boldly like a lion and we have that courage to face what is before us, we're going to do this in the knowledge that God is with us, that God has got our back, that God is assisting us, that he has gone into our situations and that the outcome has already been delivered into our hands by faith through the knowledge and the love of our God. Amen.